One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Kirby. And I'm Sarah. Welcome, Welcome to Los Angeles. Every week, we break down the most important beauty news and launches, interview your favorite beauty experts, influencers, and celebrity guests, and review our favorite beauty products of the moment as your beauty editor BFFs from the beautiful and great city of Los Angeles. Welcome, Glamgelinos. We Ooh. hope you stay a while. <laughs> cute. That's cute. Hey Glamgelinos, so I know I say this every time, but this is truly such a special, special episode, especially to me because we are going to be talking about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart, which is new mom beauty sleep. So beauty sleep as it relates to being a new mom, a first time mom, and maybe for those of you listening, being a mom a second or third time around. So I am flying solo today, but not to worry because although Kirby is not here, we have two incredible guests who are basically celebrities in my household and icons. Peach and Lily founder Alicia Yoon, who has already been on our podcast, but I'm so excited to have her back. And we have Dr. Harvey Karp, who is a pediatrician, a best-selling author of the number one parent guide, Happiest Baby on the Block, and the inventor of one of the most cherished items in my household, the snoo. <laughs> so welcome, Alicia and Dr. Karp. So great to see you. Nice to see both of you. And so you guys already know each other. Alicia, you're on because you are pregnant. Congratulations. Thank you. Ten weeks left. How are you feeling? <gasps> Ten weeks left. The last time we had you on the podcast, actually, I was pregnant. So I feel like this is full circle. But the last trimester just goes by so fast. Yeah, I can't believe there's only 10 weeks left. We have a lot to do to prepare. This actually has been the easiest part of my pregnancy. The first 20 weeks, it was pretty severe nausea and it was a lot of fatigue. But now, even though it is uncomfortable with extra weight, I feel like, okay, 10 weeks, we got this. So You're in the glow. Yeah. Yes, you look so beautiful. And how are you sleeping? Thank you. I'm sleeping pretty well. So I'm thankful about that. Through the whole pregnancy, I've actually had pretty good sleep. Part of it is the nausea medication that I've had to take also kind of helps you sleep. So sleep-wise, it's been pretty good. But also, you just have to listen to your body because you're fatigued. So I have been sleeping a lot more than I normally would. It's challenging. You can imagine what this conversation would be like if it were three guys and men had to carry the babies. Women are so strong in going through this process. So hats off to you. I'm excited. Actually, my daughter is pregnant now also. She's in month four. So she's still in that barfy stage, which is really very unpleasant. Oh. Oh, well, that's so exciting. Congratulations to you. I was very lucky. I was not nauseated. It was totally fine. But then I had really bad acid reflux because my baby was breech. And so she was so high the whole time. And I had to have a C-section because she didn't flip. And so I was like so uncomfortable sleeping. That was the only thing was sleep was really hard for me. But I had like a pile of pillows underneath my head. But then she started sleeping through the night thanks to this new Dr. Carp's method. You have all of those stories to make her feel guilty about as she's growing up and you can tell her about all 
your sacrifices. Exactly, exactly. So I don't know, Dr. Crap, if you've ever been on a beauty podcast before, but we're going to touch obviously on both the beauty and the sleep because it is very connected. But Alicia, I would love to hear if your skincare routine has changed at all while being pregnant and how it's kind of shifted. Yes, it's actually changed quite a bit in a couple ways. Well, first is my skin has changed. So because I have dry, sensitive skin with eczema, I don't struggle as much with breakouts. You know, definitely during pregnancy, I've struggled a lot with persistent breakouts along like my hairline, my nose, my mouth. And that's something that I've been really tackling with using the Peach Lice's Acne Spot Dots because salicylic acid, my doctor has approved for me up to 0.5%, even up to 2%, but you know, tend to be on the conservative side. So I've just turned to the Acne Spot Dots because there's no ingredients on it. So that has become an everyday part of my life. <laughs> like I will have an acne spot dot somewhere on my face, like 24 seven. So that has been a big change for me. The second is around month two, I started seeing like a lot of pregnant women will notice hyperpigmentation become extremely persistent. I do notice in the summertime, like I get dark spots more easily and they'll clear up pretty quickly when I really tackle it at the end of the summer. But this was like all over pretty much, you know, the middle of my face, like little sesame seeds sprouting everywhere. I felt like it just happened overnight. And I feel really lucky because at that time, we were pretty much completed with our formulas for our newest product, Transparency which is a vitamin C treatment for dark spots, particularly that's very, very gentle. So it's 20%, but it's really gentle even for people with sensitive skin like myself. So that has been my skin savior. I don't go a day without that because I know that hyperpigmentation during pregnancy can be very persistent. So that's something I've incorporated into my routine. And then the other thing is that even though I have been sleeping enough, I feel still, I feel like there's just like fatigue and also the heartburn is pretty intense. So you're just not feeling like at your best, especially when you're not sleeping. For me, it was just more, I think the fatigue, your skin barrier function can also become less optimized and you can have a lot more water loss and I already have dry skin as it is. So the wild dew treatment essence is something I've been really just like patting into my skin and giving myself those hydrofacials. So that's more like how my skin has changed. But in terms of how my routine approach has changed, because I have eczema in the past, I would be very dedicated to my routine morning and night. Now I give myself a lot of space to do whatever I can. So if some days it's just not happening, the lazy day pads, a one-step routine is what's happening. <laughs> and like, that's going to be okay. So that's just been my approach where I'm like, we're just sometimes in survival mode and a one-step routine that is just going to be fine. So those are the big changes. That's great. And you're setting yourself up for success when the baby comes because you have less time to do your skincare routine. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, you'll have to change it from lazy day to efficient day, I think, because you're trying to just get everything done once the baby comes. Exactly. You're going to be great. You're glowing. So you look so beautiful. And I'm sure this will carry on postpartum. Uh, thank you. It is a, a really interesting part about this issue about hyperpigmentation, or they call it the mask of pregnancy, where you can get very persistent hyperpigmentation around your eyes, on your cheeks, especially if you're dark skin to begin with, it tends to, to increase. So that's very interesting about the vitamin C serum. 
helping that. Oh, and the other thing that I've really focused on is because I have dry skin everywhere, I am very focused on hydration, but my belly, maybe it's because I'm all of five two, but my belly has just become very, very big, like front facing, like just kind of just sticking out a lot. A lot. <laughs> and so I'm sure every pregnant woman probably feels like, how can it accommodate more growth? Because I'm looking at myself right now, I'm like 10 more weeks. I don't know how my skin is going to accommodate this, but I have been very, very dedicated to after every time I take a shower, when it's still a little bit steamy in the bathroom, I'll take the Pure Beam Lux Oil and the KB Rescue Balm and mix it in my hands and just, you know, spread it everywhere on my belly and just really give it as much like lipid support and like ceramide support and so forth as possible. You know, the only note is I definitely taken like copy paste all the ingredient list and sent it to my doctor to just get everything approved. Like I feel like there's like basic kind of notes out there on what to use and what not to use when you're pregnant, but everyone is different. So just always copy paste, ask your doctor and just get the clearance. But yeah, that's what I've been doing for my stomach. That's a really good idea about checking ingredients. And even when something says it's clean or natural, that doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have artificial ingredients. Skin is your largest organ, right? And so to absorb things through the skin happens all the time. One of the things that we've seen, especially with beauty products, are chemicals called phthalates. And phthalates are fragrances and other types of really unnecessary chemicals that are put into beauty products that get absorbed right through the skin. Study done by the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, showed that over 94% of reproductive age women have this all the time in their bloodstream. And it's been associated with really very concerning abnormalities of the baby because actually the phthalates work like estrogen. And so they can have this feminizing effect, which you really don't want to be messing around with the hormones of your developing baby. And so it's something that purity really matters. And when you're putting something on your skin during pregnancy, you want to be very thoughtful about what it is you're putting on the skin. A hundred percent. I have definitely reached like another level of research for everything, just because it's one thing to think about being pregnant. And then when you're actually pregnant, there's this suddenly very protective instinct that takes over. And I'm like, wait, what am I eating? Should I be around this? This is like a little bit overboard. We were moving and I was sharpening boxes. The smell got to me now. I was like, this probably isn't like the best thing right now. So, you know, there's just like this instinct that kicks in for sure. You've always been super aware of all that. And I appreciate how natural all of Peach and Lily's products are and the ingredients that you choose to put in it. But it becomes like bigger than you, right? Before you were like, oh, I don't want to put this because I don't want to affect myself. But then when you're growing this little being inside of you, you're like, this is truly like bigger than me. Like this is affecting my child that's growing. Sarah, but there are parallels. This is where beauty and pediatrics kind of meet one of the areas because my wife and I have for years worked on environmental organizations and we're on the board of a group called EWG or Environmental Working Group, which I hope everybody who's listening will look up EWG because we have something called Skin Deep, which is this wonderful way of checking any product that you're using. You can just scan their barcode on the back of the product and you can get a list of really a green, yellow, or red light kind of response about whether or not this is something that you need to be concerned about or it's already been checked and it doesn't have anything you need to worry about. So really 
literally millions of people are using that as a way of checking products before they're putting it on their skin. But I've worked with Congress, for example, in getting these chemicals, these phthalates, out of rubber products for babies. So those little rubber duckies, kids love to float in the bath, or pacifiers and teething toys used to have phthalates as part of the mix of chemicals put into that. And so children would be sucking these chemicals all the time. And so we wanted to keep it away from our growing children as well as keep it out of the bodies of moms who are pregnant and breastfeeding. We don't want children exposed to any more chemical or prevent as much exposure as we can. What I find really interesting is um, Dr. Karp and I were discussing in a separate conversation that for our patient-only products, there's over 1,500 ingredients we don't include, 1,550 ingredients we don't include, including phthalates and so forth. And what I find very interesting is some research is more preliminary, right? It doesn't conclusively mean that this ingredient is like the end of the world for you. Some ingredients, actually, some would even argue it's quite safe. Like, why take that out? And I love how Dr. Karp had said this. It's more the precautionary principle. So when there is some controversy that might cause some people to worry about an ingredient, and if there is an actual alternative ingredient that can be included, why not go there, right? Especially if we can still keep the pricing accessible and so forth. And so that's how we had kind of thought about the peach and lily collection. We never want to fear monger and say like, oh my gosh, throw everything away. That's not what we're saying at all. But it's just an option for people who just kind of don't want to have that worry. And I love how Dr. Karp had mentioned, well, that's the thing is that the precautionary principle is not a bad idea, especially when it's something that's so high stakes like your child. Because at one point, there can be research in the future. Just because something hasn't been definitively researched yet, it might not give you peace of mind being like, for sure, that's fine, right? And new research comes out all the time that might say one thing or another. So it is a little bit hairy to navigate, right? But I think for us, like just that peace of mind. But I always tell our community, please don't ever take it as like, a brand that includes other ingredients that we don't include, if you feel comfortable with it and you've done the research, like that's okay too, but you know, we've kind of done that legwork for you. I think that what we're learning just to talk about the precautionary principle, which means that, you know, better be safe than sorry, basically. And we used to just assume that everything was tested and safe. We just assumed if they're selling it in a store, it must be okay. And it turns out that's not really the case. Now, so many people are choosing organic food because if you can get the same apple that isn't sprayed with a chemical that might be unhealthy, it kills the bug. So, I mean, it must have some effect on people. If you can get the same apple and get it for the same price and get it not sprayed with those chemicals, then why not do that? For especially for your kids. You know, children, pound for pound, they're drinking much more water. I mean, even though they're little, you know, they're drinking a lot. You know, if a child drinks eight ounces of milk, that's like you chucking down a quart, you know, boom, just like that, because their bodies are so small. So they're much more exposed to things that we spray on the carpet or things that are in the food. And we want to be thoughtful about what we're exposing them to. You can't prevent everything. No one can do everything, but everyone can do something. And so just being a little bit more thoughtful about it and trying to say, you know what, I'm going to avoid these exposures and these chemicals and these cleaners. We'll use baking soda. <laughs> we'll use things that we know we don't need to worry about. I think that parents are waking up to the realization that less is more when it comes to exposure to these chemicals. 
Okay, so Dr. Karp, before we get into, we want to talk to you all about sleep and new mom sleep. But for some of our listeners who don't know who you are, so like I said, in my household, you are an icon. Before my daughter was born, we read your books. We watched all your interviews and YouTube videos. We are huge devotees of the five S's method. And if anyone follows me on Instagram, you know that I am like, obsessed with my snoo. So for our listeners who don't know who you are, Dr. Karp, can you explain what the five S's are and how you developed that method? Sure. Well, you know, as a pediatrician working with families for decades, one of the things that we're always trying to help families with when they have a new baby is to get sleep, right? That's the number one thing that is the hardest thing when you have a new baby is that you feel exhausted. And it's Groundhog Day, right? Because you wake up, you take a nap, you feed, you take a nap. Didn't I just bathe you? You know, I mean, it's not rocket science, right? It's not the hardest thing in the world, you know, intellectually, but it takes a lot of endurance to get through those days. And as much as people tell you that before, you have a baby, you just don't really get it, you know, until you're in that situation. And part of the reason that it's challenging is because we're all doing it wrong in a certain sense. I mean, number one, we're doing it without having five nannies because, you know, today, if you have a nanny, you're well off, but really you should have five nannies. That's what mothers always had. I mean, not really nannies, but you had your grandma and your aunt and your older sister and the next door neighbor's older daughter and no moms were doing this on their own. They always had like an entourage of help. And then many people are super smart and they're super competent and they've really excelled in school and in work, but have never touched a baby in their life lives, that never happened in the history of humanity. I mean, literally, you would have, you know, eight brothers and sisters and cousins. And so by the time you have your own baby, you would have taken care of 10 babies. So you just knew it intuitively. Now, parents are so second guessing themselves, and they're confused by everything that they read that contradicts someone else on the internet. And so what I kind of came to realize, and this was really a new piece of the science, this is what I wrote about in the Happiest Baby book. And actually, I'm maybe one of the few authors that doesn't even recommend my book. I mean, I think the book is a great book and it's interesting, but there's a 30 minute video called The Happiest Baby on the Block, which learning how to calm your baby and get to sleep is really like learning how to tie your shoelaces. You learn it better by watching than even by reading a 200 page book. And so I shouldn't diss my own book, but to really learn it, especially for your in-laws and your partner and things like that, it really helps to watch it a couple of times and get it down. What's really weird is that all of us fall asleep to certain rhythms. That's why we fall asleep in trains and planes and cars. The rumbly sound, the little vibratory rhythms put us to sleep. That's why we like rocking in hammocks and we like the sound of the wind and the ocean. And it turns out all of that imitates the baby's life in the womb. People think it's got to be quiet and so gentle in there. No, it's a symphony of sensations. The sound is louder than a vacuum cleaner with the blood flow. And they're constantly being jiggled and rocked. Every time you breathe, you're rocking your baby. Even all night long, you're rocking your baby as you're breathing at night. And they're constantly held in that tight little bundle. And so we have thought that then the baby is born and you put them in a quiet room in the darkness and that they will love that. No, that's like weird for babies. Babies need to be held and rocked and shushed all night long. 
and to give birth and then to take that away from them and put them 14 hours a day in total silence is really bizarre for the babies. It's a wonder that they're not screaming all night long. And so what I discovered is that babies are born with a reflex. That's kind of an off switch for crying and an on switch for sleep. This is called the calming reflex. And you turn that on by imitating your baby's experience in the womb or what we call the fourth trimester. So for those first four months or even five months, you're doing lots of holding and rocking and shushing and feeding and imitating what your womb did for free. And so you can do that all day long, but then what do you do all night long? And that's why we created Snoo. People think of it as a baby bed, but it's really not a baby bed. Snoo is your older sister. <laughs> Snoo is a caregiver who moved in and said, go to sleep. I'm going to hold and rock the baby all night long. And if the baby gets upset, I'm going to rock and trish the baby more. So it responds to babies with more jiggly motion and sound. I called the Snoo my night nurse. It's like that. It really is. It's like a helper. I mean, obviously, night nurses can do a lot more in terms of helping you, but it is an extra pair of hands for when you need to take a shower, fix a meal, or play with your toddlers, or do a Zoom call, or get some sleep. You now have an extra pair of hands, and people can rent Snoo. So we've studied now over 40,000 babies, and we've demonstrated that it adds one to two hours to a baby's sleep, which sounds amazing, but really, it's the same exact thing that would happen if you drove them all night in the car. You'd get an extra hour or two of sleep. It keeps babies safer because they're secured on the back, so they can't roll to an unsafe position. And actually, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has already designated this a breakthrough device, meaning it has the potential to be life-saving for babies. It automatically sleep trains the baby, so by the end of the time you're using it at six months, or sometimes it's seven months, babies are small or they can be in it a little bit longer. They're sleep trained by the time you finish it, so you don't have to go through a cry-it-out routine. But it really is a helper, an extra pair of hands, which parents deserve and need. You can buy it as a product, but you can rent it now. We rent it all across the United States, pretty much for the cost of a Starbucks coffee. The funny thing is, if you were to hire a 14-year-old to hold your baby one hour a day while you fixed a meal or did a chore, you'd pay $15 or $20 for that. And you can rent a snoo for like $4.20 a day. So literally the cost of a Starbucks coffee, you can have a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week helper. And I think that's why it's been so popular. Absolutely. And I could not recommend the snoo more. So we started sleeping at least five, six hours maybe a month in, four weeks in, and then it just kept progressing after that. And like I said, we're really sad to part with it, but I know that she is ready because the snoo has helped train her. And my husband and I were so nervous to like turn the weaning mode on. Like we kept getting the notifications. It was like, oh, do you want to start weaning? And I was like, no, I, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. But it was like, I'm not ready. She was so ready. That's no more rocking motion. And it's just the white noise. Her arms were out. And she slept through the night. And I was like, I need to have a little bit more confidence in my baby that she knows what she's doing. And she has been trained to this point. And she takes her naps in her crib and she totally sleeps and self-soothes herself. So we are so grateful, <laughs> Dr. Karp. And that's the biggest concern people have is like, is my baby going to get addicted to this and so used to it? But you know, no one ever worries about that with eating a baby, right? You give milk for every meal, milk, 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 month after month after month, just milk, which is appropriate, but no one ever worries, oh my gosh, 
I've only given my baby milk. Maybe she'll never eat solid food the rest of her life. You don't have to worry about that. And when babies are born, they need the help. But by the time they get to be six months old, their brains have doubled in size. They're much better able at maintaining their own self-regulation. And that happens gradually over several months. So you don't have to rush the process. It's just going to happen. And SNU is there. So when she wakes up in the middle of the night, instead of being in a still, quiet, sensory-deprived environment, she's getting the richness of rocking and holding and shushing so that she goes, oh, this is cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm in good shape. I'll fall back asleep. And of course, if she's hungry, she'll wake up and she'll need a feeding. But if she's not hungry, she'll go back to sleep, usually within a minute or two. And I love it that parents call all the time and they say, oh my God, I'm looking at my app. It has an app on your phone that you can see your daily readout of your child's sleep. And you go, oh my gosh, did you, honey, did you know she woke up twice in the middle of the night? I didn't even hear that. Did you hear it? And the snoo just responds and puts your baby to sleep. And so it's really a super big help, I think, for parents who have so many other tasks now. And especially during COVID, it's been a real relief because you couldn't have caregivers and family members helping out. Yes, exactly. It has been such, such a lifesaver during this pandemic. Anyone can get a free snoo if you have your employer contact our Happiest Baby company, happiestbaby.com, because we have over 60 major employers that give the bed as a benefit for their families. And so the employers recognize that if you have a well-rested employee, they're going to be happier with their experience. They're going to have a better relationship with their partner. So they're less likely to be involved in marital stress, which is going to interfere with their ability to do the job. There are going to be fewer errors and accidents, more loyalty, more retention. About a third of women don't return to work in the first year after the baby is born. And in part, that's because they feel so drawn out and spent taking care of their babies. And so employers, a bit major employers now provide this as a free benefit for their employees. What I love about this is we're doing research. We're used in 100 hospitals across the country to help support nurses and new moms when they have the baby in the hospital. We have studies underway to show that we can reduce postpartum depression and anxiety because being sleep deprived is a major cause of those problems. Obesity, being overweight. Of course, everyone puts on weight during pregnancy. That's appropriate. But to help you lose the weight, you do have to get some sleep so that you're not eating inappropriately and you're able to exercise a little bit and your body just metabolizes the calories more efficiently when you're getting some sleep. So there's all sorts of ways of improving your health. And if you're getting sleep, you know, to Alicia's point earlier, things like pimples and acne happen more when you're sleep deprived because the body's immune system is worn down. Yeah, actually, Alicia, I would love if you could speak about how sleep affects skin specifically how poor sleep affects your skin. Oh man, not having enough sleep and not having enough high quality sleep really affects skin in a number of different ways. So when we're sleeping, our skin is really going through this process of repair, regeneration, fighting inflammation. And then also your barrier function needs to stay strong. And so number one, when we're not sleeping, that period of time dedicated to really fighting off damage or inflammation is really compromised. So, you know, it can show up in skin as either irritation or much more sensitive skin. Also, you know, there are studies that show that, you know, even your collagen elastin can break down more easily when we're not sleeping as much. So people will notice more lines, loss of firmness, and then your barrier function, you know, that is everything for skin that helps keep the moisture in, that helps keep bacteria out. So, you know, you can break out more, but also when the water loss is happening, you will see dehydrated skin that leaves 
leads to a cascade effect of like a lot of other skin issues. And then of course, when we have lack of sleep, there's also cortisol that can kick in, which then has all these other secondary effects, including your skin can get thrown off balance. It can really lead to inflammation that can lead to further breakouts. So sleep is so necessary for health in general. And I think our skin just reflects what's going on inside also. We are a holistic system. And so there's a lot of uh, chain reactions that can happen from lack of sleep. And then I've seen people then try to address that chain reaction with various skincare products. And then, for example, you're like, I'm breaking out. So I'm going to use now a chemical peel. But then actually, because it's not necessarily, um, that's not the root cause. Now your skin barrier, which is already a bit compromised and weaker, it might even be more effective. I mean, we all know it's harder, I guess, to do than to say, but finding ways to prioritize enough and good quality sleep is essential for our health and also for our skin. It's probably worth adding a tiny bit about diet here as well, because your diet also is going to be reflected in your skin and especially about inflammation. And so anti-inflammatory foods, reducing your sugar intake, foods that have turmeric and ginger, for example, are good anti-inflammatory supplements to be taking. So it's worth kind of thinking about it, as you said, Alicia, holistically, it really is a complete system. And I love that you brought the turmeric. So because I have eczema, and some other kind of pesky little like autoimmune things that lead to a lot of inflammation. I have really learned to live this anti-inflammation lifestyle. And now we're home mostly because of the pandemic. But before, when I would go into the office, et cetera, I would actually carry around a little bit of turmeric with me and just put it in my salad or whatever, because I don't find that it has like a big flavor. So it kind of goes with a lot of different things and drinking antioxidant-rich foods. But you know, the big thing for me has been definitely the simple sugars. Like I have such a sweet tooth. For me, I've noticed what works is if I have like a very black and white stance on it, I just end up like not sticking to it when I realize, okay, it's really just the majority of the time be really, really good about it. And if, you know, once in a while, you're going to have that scoop of ice cream, go ahead and then feel fine about it. So I've been really trying to find different tips and tricks to, you know, combat my sweet tooth and still keep the inflammation at bay. You know, one of the things I find is number one, when you're sleep deprived, you have more of a sweet tooth. When you're sleep deprived, you're eating more of those comfort foods, right? You know, and that sweet and fatty foods. And also when you're dehydrated, you also crave it more. So just being more hydrated automatically lessens your sweet tooth. And if you are going to have sweets, it's good to eat some protein first. And so that slows down the digestion a little bit and it allows the body to use those sweets instead of just a rush of sugar to kind of balance out the way the sweets enter into the bloodstream. So we're all going to do it, right? I mean, let's face it, those are one of the little joys in life and we got to have our joys, but it helps the body utilize it better. That's a good tip. So Dr. Karp, I want to talk about breastfeeding and sleep and the relationship between the two and if you can do both successfully. So for me personally, you know, Zoe sleeps through the night. I've now weaned off of pumping in the middle of the night. But for a while, I was still doing that. And that was, you know, obviously disrupting my sleep. A lot of babies still wake up in the middle of the night and moms choose to breastfeed them. So what advice do you give to your patients? Like how can moms sleep better, but also breastfeed? 
They're totally compatible, breastfeeding and sleep, but you do have to do a little planning around it. Number one, breastfeeding, if you can do it, not everyone can. So you, you try your best, get some help, speak to La Leche League or lactation consultant or to your friends who have done it, you know, and can advise you because sometimes it's a bit rocky in the beginning if you're not sure what you're doing and the baby of course doesn't know what he or she is doing so you need some support and guidance there and once you get the breastfeeding off the ground of course it's good for babies breast milk is taken a million years to evolve and be a really great food for babies but it's also great for moms as well we know that when you breastfeed it reduces your risk of breast cancer later on and ovarian cancer and when you release prolactin, which is the hormone that makes the milk in your breast, it gives a feeling of safety and comfort and peace. And also you get a release of oxytocin, which we call the love hormone or the trust hormone. And it makes you feel very right in the world. Of course, you can get oxytocin when you cuddle your baby also. You don't have to breastfeed to get an oxytocin release. So you can certainly get that with formula feeding as well. But the thing about breastfeeding is to take some control of the situation. Once you're milk is in and it usually takes, you know, several days to a week to really start getting regulated with breastfeeding. You want to feed your baby a lot during the day. Wake your baby up, even if your baby's sleeping more than an hour and a half or two hours. Uh, so the more feeding you get in during the day, the more the baby will sleep at night. It just is that easy balance. And also what I recommend is switching the baby from side to side. So if the baby's been on one side for five or six or seven minutes, I take the baby off, even if the baby is still sucking burp the baby, put the baby on the other side and finish your feeding on the other side. The baby will get more milk that way. They'll still get the hind milk, that richer milk at the end of that second breast. It ends up giving your baby more milk at a feeding and that allows them to be more filled during the day and sleep better at night. And then using snoo. And if you don't have snoo, you can use white noise and you can use swaddling for the first couple of months. We don't want to swaddle babies more than a couple of months because once they're rolling over, they can roll to an unsafe position if they're swaddled. In SNU, we don't worry about that because they're secured on the back. So they can be swaddled for many, many months and get the benefit of that. And uh, we find that with using SNU, actually women are incredibly successful at breastfeeding. So it really helps to support that. Moms using SNU, we did a study, 57% are still exclusively breastfeeding at six months of age. So we really help to support moms if they want to continue breastfeeding for that amount of time. Dr. Krab, I would love to hear your thoughts on the recent study that came out that said that vaccinated mothers pass COVID antibodies to their babies in utero and through breast milk. So are you recommending, you know, as a pediatrician to your patients to get the COVID vaccine? I know it's a very personal choice, but what is your stance on it if you feel comfortable sharing? Well, I've got vaccinated. My family has gotten vaccinated. And I recommend that everybody listening to this get vaccinated if you can, including during pregnancy. There are certain issues, illnesses that we know affect growing fetuses more than other issues or young children for that matter. And then there are others that affect babies much less and affect adults much more. And we know that about COVID. It's much more dangerous the older you get. When you're young, you fight off even the illness if you get sick with it, much less with a vaccine. So I think that it is absolutely better to get the vaccine than to take the risk of getting sick. And not just you getting sick, but exposing your fetus to that or your young baby or your family to that. So I strongly recommend that people consider it. I understand that different people have different views of it. Everyone has to make their own decision on this. But as a physician and a pediatrician, I strongly recommend getting the vaccine. 
Okay, Alicia, I know that you probably have lots of questions for Dr. Karp too, so I would love to open up the floor to you. What are you kind of concerned about or worried or scared about for this last trimester, but then also, you know, your delivery and beyond? Yes. So I had three questions. The first question is now that I'm in that final stretch of pregnancy, is there anything that just kind of helps prepare for what's to come? Well, yeah, I think that the more you can learn, the better. So learning about breastfeeding, you know, there's so much information on the internet, which is which is useful, especially if you go to well-trusted opinion leaders like La Leche League, U.S. Breastfeeding Committee, which has lots of information online. So learning about breastfeeding is a good thing to do. Learning about babies, learning about the five S's, watching the Happiest Baby video, uh, taking a baby care class. And there are tons of them that are online now. Again, it's not rocket science. You don't have to get a PhD in babyology, but getting a little bit of preparation, I think, uh, goes a long way into feeling like you're not taken by surprise when things happen. I'll just tell you one example of that, which is about sleep. Everyone knows the babies aren't going to sleep well in the beginning, and we all think, well, then they get older, and then they start sleeping better and better and better, like it's a straight line of improvement. And that's rarely the way it works. Almost always They're waking up a lot in the beginning, which is normal, so that they're establishing the feeding. And then things go better. And then you're bragging to your friends, you know, this is not so hard, as everyone said. And then like three weeks into it, crash and burn, you know, it's a house of cards. And suddenly your baby's waking up every hour and a half again. And you feel like you've jinxed it. And why did I even tell people that it was going well? And so it's oftentimes a roller coaster of improvement and then, you know, relapse or regression. SNU can help that. It's not a perfect cure for it, but it helps it along the way. But I think the more you anticipate those things and you've learned about what is normal infant behavior, the more prepared you are. You're not taken by surprise. Got it. And are there any specific like workouts, stretches, foods to eat or anything like that, that like physically prepares you? Well, you know, I think walking is the best exercise and it's easy on your body. And I think that you want to be very respectful of your joints in this last couple of months of pregnancy and your back. Everything is being pushed around. And, you know, if you're not getting sleep, of course, that causes more inflammation. So you want to be gentle with yourself. But I think keeping up your walking exercise is really important. Getting your sleep keeps your body healthy and eating as well as you can. I mean, fortunately, you know, you probably have more of an appetite and less nausea than in those early months. And so eating well, which doesn't mean never eating sweets, but, you know, like keep it in balance and try to eat protein before you have the sweets is a good idea. Got it. Okay. And then the day of delivery, I mean, as a first time mom-to-be, I'm definitely nervous about the day of delivery, even though, you know, I keep reminding myself that this has been happening for as long as humanity has been around, like, we got this, I got this. Of course, I have taken the childbirth classes and all of that. Is there anything that you would say is something that, you know, you kind of recommend watching out for the day of delivery or something just to keep in mind that kind of makes that day just smoother? Number one, fortunately, it almost always goes well. So you should have that confidence that billions of women have done this before you. You're going to probably have a good time of it as well. And obviously, you want to have a good team around you. I do think that starting now with practicing relaxation techniques or meditation techniques or hypnobirthing is another approach that people use is really important because it turns out that you can help yourself tremendously go through the challenges of labor 
by learning how to relax. The more you can relax, the more things open like a flower. And the more they open, the easier the baby comes out. It doesn't always work perfectly. Like Sarah, in your case, you know, the baby was breached. And so it's just the way it is. And so thank goodness we have C-sections and obstetricians and hospitals that are good at doing that. And you want to have confidence about your team. And I would say from a breastfeeding point of view, there's not a lot you have to do in terms of preparing your breast. The only one thing that is important to pay attention to is that your nipples are not flat or inverted when you stimulate them. So stimulate your nipples a little bit. The nipples should erect a half an inch or so or more. And as long as that happens, then there's a good nipple for the baby to latch onto because your breasts are going to fill with milk. It's kind of Bajangi's time. I mean, it's like Dolly Parton time and you can't quite believe it. Body changes are amazing, but you know, your breasts will get quite a bit bigger and full and hard even in the first week or two before that relaxes a little bit and softens up after a couple of weeks. And if it isn't direct, if it's flat or inverted, you want to speak to your healthcare provider because there are definitely things we can do to kind of get the nipple standing out a little bit more to be able to be easy for the baby to latch onto. Got it. That was so helpful. And I'm so glad you said that because I feel like especially moms or pregnant women during the pandemic, you know, we don't have the access to, thankfully we have online classes, but we're not going to, you know, the hospital to take the hospital tour and meeting with people um, to get the extra help that we need. And so for me personally, when I started breastfeeding, I was like, why didn't anyone tell me it was this hard? At first, you know, it's like it's painful. I had read a little bit and I'd watched some videos, but I truly had no clue. And then, of course, it got easier. But what Dr. Carp said too earlier with, you know, meeting with a lactation consultant, that helped me tremendously just to give me the confidence to know that I could do it. And then I was holding her correctly and what to look out for when she was latching on. And that just helped me so much. I feel like that helped me a lot. It's worth taking that extra step to learn more. There's a, a book about breastfeeding called, So That's What They're There For, um, meaning your breasts. Until you have a baby, you don't even realize that's really why they are there is for nurturing your baby. It shouldn't be painful. I mean, yes, when your baby latches on, there's like a, you know, sometimes it, you have to take a deep breath for a few seconds and then it should resolve. You shouldn't be gritting your teeth and crying or you shouldn't get sores on your nipple. Actually, from a skin point of view, if you do get irritations on your nipple, the best thing to heal your nipple is breast milk. So letting a little bit of breast milk dry on the nipple is very healing for the skin. But if you find that it is painful and you're having a hard time, immediately get help because it means that the baby is not being latched on properly or the position is not right or the way the baby's mouth is coming on the nipple is not right. And those are usually pretty easy things to resolve to get you past the discomfort. So it shouldn't be like you have to suffer through this. That's not right. It should be a little bit of learning and then kind of like tying your shoelaces, it just becomes second nature of how you do it. I'll give you one more tip about this, which is that moms in the beginning, especially first time moms are so eager to get the baby on, you just kind of bring the baby on and let the baby take the breast. And that's problematic. You have to be a bit more demanding that your baby's mouth is big and open. And so it's like jumping rope. You know, when you jump rope, you just don't walk in and jump rope. You watch the rope, you watch it, you get the timing. And then when you see your opportunity, boom, you go fast. And it's the same thing with breastfeeding. 
you learn to tease your baby and get an open mouth and get an open mouth and get, and then you see a big open mouth. And that's when you bring the baby to the breast pretty fast. And that way the mouth is big and open when you bring the baby on and that's much more comfortable. So, you know, there are tips like that, that are, will really keep you on the right side of success and allow you to be able to achieve this. If that's something that you want to do. Alicia, I'm wondering, can you use the K-Beauty Rescue Balm as a nipple balm postpartum? I'm not sure, actually, because I think for nipple balms, you want to make sure that every part of it is probably edible and totally safe for the baby. And we definitely did not test for that. So I would stick with the belly for stretch marks. And stretch marks, a lot of it is also genetic, but there are some things that we can do to help minimize the appearance of it for sure. And then I would say definitely for all the other uses, like head to toe, wherever you have dry, flaky spots. I was soup dehydrated and dry postpartum, and I definitely used the rescue balm like all over. So thank you to you too. <laughs> okay, last question, Alicia. What is in your hospital bag? What are you bringing with you? So given that the delivery is in 10 weeks, I don't have my full bag packed yet, but I know at least for head to toe body care and skincare, what I will be bringing is the Lazy Day All-in-One Moisture Pad because, you know, basically I have noticed that sometimes you might not be able to get from the bed to the sink and taking these like childbirth classes, depending on if you're like hooked up to something or what have you. And that really just refreshes skin. And if you're there for like 24 hours, who knows? And then after you give birth, when you are not able to get up. So that is like a must, must, must for me. I'm also going to have just in case my condensed like routine for the sinks. So I'll have my power calm, my wild dew, my glass skin, my transparency, and my matcha. I will also have my Pure and K-Beauty Rescue Bomb just because I am just dry and flaky everywhere as it is. And I just know that like little things, like when you're hooked up or you're on the bed, there's like little moments of discomfort and that just like kind of helps. So that's like in terms of like head to toe skincare. And then for those moments, I'm not sure if this will be possible for me, but I have heard that there might be a moment where you can like shower in the hospital. And so the power calm is what I'll actually just be using on my body as well. For my eczema, sometimes I use like Mustella baby lotion, head to toe, like it just squeezes out big and it's easy. So I might bring that for my body. So that's like definitely one thing. And then the other thing that is not skincare related that I know I must bring is the little Sonos to have music going just because I have noticed that that just creates the ambiance for me for just being relaxed as Dr. Karp was saying and just like not being so nervous. <laughs> so I've like started putting together my playlist, which is pretty fun. Yeah, those are the main things. I've seen things online where moms might have little like tea candles, like especially just like the electronic ones, just to kind of set the mood and everything. I think for me that I may not do all that, but I think music is probably like the easy thing that we'll do that just kind of sets the vibe. Since somebody was saying it's actually pretty fun because when your baby's being delivered, you're like, that was a song that the baby came out to. Just kind of like a fun little thing. Definitely. I would also recommend if you don't have Dr. Karp's Snoo Bear or any white noise machine in your hospital bag add that because I brought it and we started using it almost immediately. And to this day, if we turn the white noise on or the snoo, it helps her pass out so fast. She just associates white noise with sleep and it helps us like in the car and if we're out and about and she's getting fussy, like it helps so much. So, and how cute is the Snoo Bear right behind Dr. Karp's head? <laughs> 
That's right. We have that. That has the snoo noises in it. And there's lots of white noise machines, but it turns out there are different types of white noise that have different effects on babies. Most people don't know that, but some noise will wake you up. Some noise will put you to sleep. Some noise will calm crying. And most white noise machine manufacturers don't really realize that. So we created the snoo sounds and the snoo bear sounds to really be the perfect sounds that babies need for sleep and for waking up and for calming crying. So thanks so much for mentioning that. Actually, I'll mention one thing, which is really for you, Sarah, now, which a lot of people don't know about, which is the happiest toddler on the block. And we all concentrate so much on having a baby and those first six months are so incredibly monumental. But it turns out between eight months and five years of age, you've created a person. And the first six months are going to go by pretty fast, all things considered. But between eight months and five, there's a lot going on in terms of raising a child who's respectful and patient and resilient. And so The Happiest Toddler on the Block is a book and a video that gives you very specific, actionable tips. I really developed in the doctor's office because I had to work with children who didn't want to be there with me. I mean, basically, they were worried or they were fearful and to develop a very quick rapport and to get them cooperative. And so these are tips that have worked for decades with me with young babies. And ultimately, what I hope people will do is spend five hours less watching Game of Thrones and spend five hours reading a, a book about toddlers so that they can be a little bit more prepared with those different little creatures that we take care of. Yes, I will absolutely be reading that. Thank you. Well, this is the end of the episode. We could pick both of your brains for another hour, but I know you both are so busy. Alicia, so excited for you. You're going to do amazing. I hope we can have you on to talk more postpartum skincare and hear what your routine is. And Dr. Krep, thank you so, so much. Where can we find the both of you online? Alicia, do you want to start? Yeah, so you can find me at my personal Instagram at AliciaYoon212 and then also at our brand Instagram at Peach and Lily. And we're, of course, on Instagram as well at happiestbaby and happiestbaby.com is our website. Amazing. Well, thank you guys for listening. You know where to find us. We are Gloss Angeles Pod on Instagram and Twitter and join our Facebook group for more beauty recommendations. All right, thanks. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.